Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Progressive Eugenics. With the continued infestation of progressivism and our politics, it's a good idea to take a look at their origins. What were they like and what did they think and what did they preach and what did they practice back in the early days of the progressive movement? Now, we could write books on their economic policies and and why they're bad and horrible and terrible and rotten and how much misery they create. But for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast, we're going to talk about their policies on eugenics. Something that they would really rather not discuss and rather not talk about. Now, concern about smart people not having kids and dumb people having lots of kids is still common with us today, and it is indeed a valid concern. The movie Idiocracy is both hilarious and scary because we can see that happening now. It's a real problem, for instance, in Europe, where the old Europeans are not reproducing at the rate that's necessary to stay a majority of the population. You need a reproduction rate of 2.1 kids per couple in order to maintain a even keel, an even population. And they're reproducing at the rate of about 1.8 per couple, which is dangerous because they have an influx of Muslims who are breeding like hamsters. And the Muslims will tell you right up front that the point is to outbreed the Europeans. And right now they're doing it. And that's really pretty scary when you look at what ISIS and the Taliban and that ilk has done to the great artworks of their own culture, destroying them. It's kind of scary if you think about Muslims taking over Europe, where Western artwork and Western culture is preserved in old cathedrals and sculpture and museums. It's a rather frightening proposition. And over here in America, we have the Quiverful Movement, It's not a specific religion, but it's a cult mentality that a lot of various fundamentalist religions are using and adopting. And the idea is that women should breed massively in order to create an overpopulation of fundamentalists. Women in the Quiverful movement are expected to have 12 or 15 or 20 children, basically to treat their vaginas as fundamentalist clown cars and squirt out a new fundy baby every year or so. 
The idea, of course, being that they're going to take over the population, turn the U.S. into a theocracy. And as we can see, theocracies work out so well. You just have to look at places like Saudi Arabia or just places in history that were run as theocracies. The movie Idiocracy was inspired by a science fiction story from the 50s called The Marching Morons. But it's still not a new idea. It is an idea, in fact, that was promoted by progressives at the turn of the last century as progressivism started to become more and more popular. In fact, it was one of their driving and defining philosophies. It's called eugenics. And the idea was that wrong-thinking people and people who were physically substandard should not just be discouraged from breeding, but should be prevented from it. In the late 1800s, Francis Galton, who was Darwin's cousin, published a book about it. He was, in fact, the guy who coined the term eugenics. It should be noted that Darwin hated this whole idea despised it, wanted no part of it. But Darwinism was becoming more and more accepted, despite huge opposition from the religious. It was becoming something that was an exciting new idea. Science, explaining something that hadn't been explained well before. And I suppose that seems like a natural progression if you're going to have evolution improving any species, then why not apply it to humans? And why not give it a helping hand? And so the progressives adopted this idea of eugenics. The idea that people who were inferior, and they were inferior because of their race, because of their economic situation, because of physical problems that they had, blindness and deafness, were considered hereditary, and for being feeble-minded, which doesn't necessarily mean what you might think, what you and I might think if we think of feeble-minded. Feeble-minded back then was anybody who was promiscuous. A woman that had a child out of wedlock, feeble-minded. Anybody who had sexual desires that were out of the norm were feeble-minded. The whole progressive agenda became more and more popular and really hit its stride when Teddy Roosevelt was elected. Teddy Roosevelt was a huge fan of eugenics. As he expressed in this letter, I'm going to read this letter here. He says, I am greatly interested in the two memoirs you have sent me. They are very instructive and from the standpoint of our country, very ominous. You say that these people are not themselves responsible, that it is society that is responsible. I agree with you if you mean, as I suppose you do, that society has no business to permit degenerates to reproduce their kind. It is really extraordinary that our people refuse to apply to human beings such elementary knowledge as every successful farmer is obliged to apply to his own stock breeding. Any group of farmers who permitted their best stock not to breed 
and let all the increase come from the worst stock, would be treated as fit inmates for an asylum. Yet we fail to understand that such conduct is rational compared to the conduct of a nation which permits unlimited breeding from the worst stocks, physically and morally, while it encourages or convenes at the cold selfishness or the twisted sentimentality as the result of which men and women ought to marry, and if married have large families, remain celibates or have no children or only one or two. Someday we will realize that the prime duty, the inescapable duty of the good citizen of the right type, is to leave his or her blood behind him in the world, and that we have no business to permit the perpetuation of citizens of the wrong type. Faithfully yours, Theodore Roosevelt. Notice some of the terms that he's using here. Unlimited breeding from the worst stocks, physically and morally. It is the inescapable duty of the good citizen of the right type to leave his or her blood behind. And we have no business to permit the perpetuation of citizens of the wrong type. Here is the President of the United States saying that we have an obligation to stop the wrong kind of people from having children. Now, this became a more and more and more popular thought and philosophy as time went on. And in 1927, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a case called Buck versus Bell, said, yeah, it's okay to sterilize people who are intellectually disabled. And as a result, over 70,000 Americans were sterilized, mostly women, a lot of minorities, criminals, and just basically anybody that the government didn't like. Teddy, of course, was not the only one who thought eugenics was great. H.G. Wells, one of the people who helped invent science fiction, big fan of eugenics. And here's one that'll probably surprise you, Helen Keller. Now, the progressives promoting eugenics thought that blindness and deafness were hereditary and wanted to sterilize blind and deaf people. And Helen Keller thought that was a great idea. Maybe she thought she would be spared because her blindness and deafness was a result of getting sick. She was great friends with Alexander Graham Bell, who also wanted to apply eugenics, especially to deaf people, wanted to sterilize deaf people. I guess if they couldn't use a phone, they were of no value to him. Helen Keller actually called for physicians' juries for defective babies that would allow inferior babies to die. She said, it is the possibility of happiness, intelligence, and power that gave life its sanctity, and they are absent in the case of a poor, misshapen, paralyzed, unthinking creature. Doesn't that kind of describe what she was until she was 12 or 14, when her teacher came along and helped her understand what the real world was? She said, allowing a defective child to die was simply a weeding of the human garden that shows a sincere love of true life. <laughs> yeah, seriously. John Manyard Keynes, 
the economist who helped turn the Depression into the Great Depression and whose policies even today continue to cause an enormous amount of misery for millions and tens of millions of people. He said, Jews have in them deep-rooted instincts that are antagonistic and therefore repulsive to the European, and their presence among us is a living example of the insurmountable difficulties that exist in merging race characteristics. And he compared it to making cats love dogs. He continues, It is not agreeable to see civilization so under the ugly thumbs of its impure Jews who have all the money and the power and the brains. Well, at least he admitted brains. But yeah, this is the guy who progressives love because his economic policies are so wonderful. Progressive eugenics continued to grow in popularity until one man took it to its logical conclusion who tried to wipe out an entire race, killed six million Jews, five million other people that were substandard by his reckoning. Yeah, Adolf Hitler, he just kind of popped the balloon of eugenics. And from that point forward, progressives have backed away from it. Sterilization, of course, was not the only eugenics policy that was put into place. There were marriage restrictions. There was forced segregation. And there was something called the wage floor, in which employers were told that they had to pay a certain amount to people that they hired making it so that people in the lower classes who didn't have skills to be worth this amount would be permanently unemployable. Progressives back then obviously understood economics better than progressives do today because progressives are actually putting the same policy in place, claiming that it's good for the poor. Only they don't call it a wage floor. They call it a $15 an hour minimum wage. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, changed your mind, or even if you can understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. Since the reboot of this podcast, I've kind of fallen into a pattern of how often I do these things. And that pattern is about once a month, which is not very much, but it makes it a little treat that pops up in your podcatcher every once in a while. The reason that there's so much time between them is not a lack of ideas or a lack of desire. But it's because putting one of these things together takes a fair amount of work and 
a lot of the work, the longest part of it, is really tedious and annoying. Doing any necessary research, that's easy, that's fun. Doing the original recording, yeah, that's pretty cool. But then comes the editing. And the editing is tedious. Editing is necessary to remove the false starts, the mouth clicks, and especially the whistling S's. If I didn't remove the whistling S's from this show, this would be unlistenable. There are podcasts that I have abandoned because of whistling S's sounding shrill in my ear three times a sentence. Editing takes between two and three times longer than the actual show lasts. So if it's a 20-minute show, it's anywhere from an hour, an hour and a half to do the editing. And it's boring. It's boring and tedious. And so when I want to do a show and think about the work that has to be done, it's like, uh, you know, I can, I think I'll play World of Tanks instead or I'll dig around on Facebook or whatever. I don't have an incentive to crank these out on a more regular basis. So I'm going to offer you an opportunity to provide me with an incentive if you're interested. There's a site out there called Patreon. If you are unfamiliar with it, it's a place where content creators can sign up and then fans sign up and say, I will pay you X amount for every video or podcast or article or whatever that you produce. And it can be done on a monthly basis, or it can be done on an episode basis. Now, a monthly basis would give me absolutely no incentive. But, if enough people signed up to kick in, say, a buck for an episode, then that could very well provide enough incentive for me to do shows a month or three shows a month or maybe even four shows a month so i haven't said anything up in patreon but i'm going to give you an opportunity to encourage me to do so now if only say 10 people want to do it and i'd get 10 bucks for doing an episode frankly that's not enough of an incentive but if 50 people signed up if 100 people signed up And it was time to do a podcast, and I just didn't really feel like it. Hey, I can make a chunk of money if I do it. Now I have an incentive, right? People respond to incentives, so now you have an opportunity to give me an incentive. So, here's what I'd like you to do. If this is something that you would be willing to do, if you would be willing to contribute a buck a show, or even more, three bucks a show, five bucks a show, whatever, But just a buck a show, take the time to send me an email. If I get enough emails saying, hey, I'll give you a dollar, and I can do the math and say, oh, well, this would be a nice enough chunk to incentivize me to do a more regular and more frequent show, then I'll set up a Patreon account. And you'll get more shows. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to sit down and send an email to dave at davehit.com. Put 
Patreon somewhere in the title so it doesn't get buried in the spam, and tell me that you would be willing to contribute X amount per show. A dollar is the suggested amount. You see, I figure if people don't have the incentive to actually sit down and send an email, they're not going to have an incentive to sign up for a Patreon account. But if you do sit down and you say, gee, I'll send you a donation, then I'm going to assume that at least most of you who do that will also follow through. This is entirely up to you. I've always done this as a free show. It will always be a free show. It's never going to have a paywall on it. But if you'd like to see it happen more often, Dave at DaveHit.com is the email. Drop me a line and say, yeah, I will contribute. Or drop me a line and say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. Or drop me a line about the content of the show. Doesn't matter. Just send me some email. Dave at DaveHit.com By the way, uh, while you're tooling around on Facebook, stop by the Punchy Products page. You'll see some cool stuff that I'm selling there. And that's pretty much it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast, which means there's nothing more for me to say except to remind you that this is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.